Hey, you're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in and around the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles throughout the week. And then we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, this is a milestone of sorts. This is episode 10 of Make and Multiply. Thank you so much for listening. I trust that this has been helpful to you and strengthening to your faith and um, equipping to you as you live in gospel community with other believers seeking to make and multiply disciples. And if you're part of Emmaus Road Church in Sioux Falls, as you do that um, in your discipleship huddles and your missional communities here. In this episode, I want to build on something that I covered in the last two episodes. In episode eight, I talked about the four questions and specifically using those questions when you study a passage of scripture. Just asking, what does this passage of scripture reveal about who God is, what God has done, and then out of that, who I am because of what God has done and who God is, and then finally, uh, how we should live. So those four questions are a great tool for digging into any passage of scripture. In episode nine, I talked about using a protocol for that time, that habit we call repent and believe, just walking a few other believers through the process of identifying uh, bad fruit in our lives, sin that crops up in our lives, getting down to the root and then applying the gospel there in order to experience spirit-empowered, gospel-centered transformation in our thinking and our living. So I want to build on both of those, combining the, the four questions and the fruit-to-root protocol. Uh, this material I'm going to talk about here is found in Appendix 8 in our Discipleship Huddle Guides. If you have one of those, it's on pages 41 and 42. And I want to give credit to Jeff Vanderstelt. Uh, he's the one that I learned this from, and uh, this material is put out by Saturate Resources, and this has been a great help to me personally, and I oftentimes use it in counseling and conversation with other people. This is a great way for disciples of Jesus to care for one another and to gospel each other, to help help each other move down to the root of all of our behavior, to identify the root issue that's causing sin in our lives so that we can repent and believe and experience God's saving and transforming grace. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, the, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So the same grace that saves us is the grace that trains us to renounce sin, ungodliness, worldly passions, and then to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, walking in the fruit of the Spirit. So God's saving grace is also His transforming grace, and fruit to root is all about experiencing that together. So you might not realize this, but the word psychology uh, actually comes from, or it means literally the study of the soul. It comes from the Greek word suke, which means soul. And so psychology is literally the study of the soul. And There have been hundreds of psychologies that have popped up um, over the decades and years and centuries, uh, all of them trying to explain what we are as human beings and, and why we do what we do. So Fruit to Root is about understanding biblically what does God teach us about who we are as human beings and where our sin comes from, where where our problem living and uh, where our 
problem emotions come from. So all of these uh, secular worldly psychologies have come along attempting to do what God does for us in Scripture. So you're probably familiar with the the debate between nature and nurture. Um, Do you do what you do because it's in your nature, it's in your DNA, it's who you are, it's your personality, or because of your nurturing, the environment around you? Um, If you took a psychology class, you've probably heard the name B.F. Skinner, and you've heard of behaviorism, and this idea that uh, really your thoughts and your beliefs and your internal motivations are of no concern because we can't actually study those, and so behavior said, can we explain all of your behavior in terms of your environment and your genetics and, and the external factors like you know, positive and negative reinforcement? Then Freud comes along and he proposed that all of your behavior can be explained. It can all be accounted for in terms of sexual energy and then the various stages of development that you go through and any um, trauma or frustration that you experienced in this uh, in your development process. And so it, it's all about your psychosexual development. So you know, the problem with Freud is he, he leaves you a victim. Your parents traumatized you when you were potty training, and so now you're anal retentive, and uh, you're super neat and obsessive compulsive, and uh, you want control over everything. That's how Freud goes about trying to explain who you are and how you behave. Then there's self-actualization and humanism and the school of thought advanced by people like Carl Rogers and and Maslow. You've heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it, there's this idea that um, you can realize and express your full potential and you ought to do that. And all of your frustration comes basically from um, lack of ability or opportunity to just be who you are and show your true colors. And so all you need is some people to come alongside you and empathize with you and tell you just be your true self and and let your true colors show. So all of these psychologies are attempting really to explain the human soul, but who knows the human soul better than our creator? So Jesus comes along and in Mark 7, he tells us exactly where our behavior comes from. He said to his disciples, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside that is what you eat or what you drink, what you consume through your mouth, that cannot defile you because it enters not your heart, but your stomach, and then it's expelled. Thus Jesus declared all foods clean. And then he said to them, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, through whom all things were made, says to human beings, here's where evil things come from. They come from within the heart of each person, and that's what defiles us. Something that goes in your mouth can make you physically sick, but it can't defile you in a sin sense. Sin comes from within you, not from outside of you. Uh, Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 12, 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by the fruit Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
And then God says in Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And so what the Bible teaches is that our behavior flows out of our heart. The heart is like the engine that drives our bodies, our behavior. And in the heart, that's where worship takes place. That's where our desires, our loves, our affections exist. And and that's what drives how we live. So James 4 is incredibly insightful when it says, when James asks this question, a question all people would do well to pay attention to, James asks, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Have you ever stopped to consider that? What what causes quarreling, bickering, fighting, disagreements, whether it's a, a small little spat between siblings or major conflict between nations, what causes quarrels and fights? James says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? The real battle takes place inside of your heart, that's where there's a war raging before any kind of war manifests on the outside between two people or two countries. Verse two, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You you murder to get what you desire, but the root of it is desire within you. You covet, James says, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You, You covet. Again, it's within, inside the heart that the coveting takes place. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So when James says, look, you you could even just ask God for these things that you don't have, but instead of that, you quarrel, you murder, you fight to get what you want. He's saying it's not even that you want bad things. Oftentimes it's that you want good things too badly. We want things so badly. And so James locates the problem within us as a worship problem. These these passions at war within us, these disproportionate, uh, out-of-control desires that lead to the behavior that comes out in our lives. So it's crucial first and foremost to understand how the Bible speaks about our behavior and about who we are. So think about it this way. Jesus talks like this in Matthew 5, when he points out, um, is a man an adulterer because he committed adultery? You would think, well, yeah, you're not an adulterer unless you go through the act of committing adultery. That That's the act of adultery makes you an adulterer. But Jesus says, no, actually, before you ever carry out the act of adultery, you have an adulterous heart. So adulterers are not merely those who have carried out the act of adultery. Jesus says it's adulterous hearts that lead to the act of adultery. Looking at a woman with lustful intent, Jesus says you have already committed adultery in your heart. Same thing with murder. Murder is the fruit that grows out of murderous hearts that hate and despise and rage against people around you. So so if you just extrapolate from the principles that Jesus teaches there in Matthew 5 about sin existing first and foremost in our hearts before it comes out in our behavior. We aren't sinners because we commit a few sins here and there. We sin because we are sinners. We, we have hearts that are enslaved to sin, hearts that are in love with sin. And when you see the problem that way, then you recognize what we actually need. We don't just need some behavior modification. We don't need some external reinforcements to modify our behavior. We actually need new hearts. We need to be set free from slavery to sin. We need new affections. We need new desires. We we need a new object of worship. And so fruit to root 
is all about just giving us a, a framework, a paradigm for thinking about and understanding our behavior and our emotions that are manifesting on the surface, working from those backwards to the root of what our hearts are loving and worshiping and desiring and believing, and then by God's grace experiencing transformation to find uh, life and renewal and change in Jesus Christ. And so the example that that Jeff Vanderstelt gives, and we have this in the, the Discipleship Huddle Guide, Appendix 8, um, Here's just an example. If you are noticing on the surface that you are filled with worry and fear, um, that's the fruit that is manifesting outwardly. And that's where we start because that's what we typically become aware of. We're, we're not really consciously aware yet of the root issue. We just know, I feel worry and I feel fear. What is going on? And when we stop and think about it and ask ourselves uh, the next question, well, what am I believing is true about me? What am I saying to myself? What am I um, talking about in my head about myself and my situation? You might realize something like, well, I'm, I'm telling myself that I'm all alone, that I'm unprotected, that I'm unloved. And then if you go deeper and ask, so what am I believing that God is or is not doing if I'm believing that I'm alone and I'm unprotected and I'm unloved, then then maybe I'm believing something like God is against me right now, or God has completely abandoned me in this situation, or God is not in control of this thing that's happening in front of me. And then the, the, the fourth question is, so what am I believing about who God is? If, if I'm believing God is against me or God has abandoned me or God is not in control, then I'm believing that God God is small or powerless or weak or unloving. And as soon as I start saying those things consciously or out loud to another disciple of Jesus, I realize uh, how wrong that is. God is not small. He's not weak. He's not unloving. He hasn't abandoned me. He's not out of control. And, And that's where we see the need for repentance. If repentance means changing your mind... More specifically, it means changing your mind about who God is. So the New Testament talks about people who turned away from idols to worship and serve the living God. That's repentance, changing the God that you're worshiping, turning from idols to the living God. And most Christians would say, I'm not worshiping any idol, but we are oftentimes, uh, even at at a, a deep, almost unconscious level, thinking thoughts about God that just simply aren't true, aren't in line with the truth of who God has revealed himself to be in scripture. And so we need to identify those things so that we can repent. We repent of our sinful behavior, yes, when we act out sinfully externally against people, we should repent of that sinful behavior that comes out on the surface and we should repent of the root. So in this example, being filled with fear and worry, repentance at the root level looks like praying to God, Father, forgive me for believing and living like you are small and powerless and unloving. That is not true. That is not who you are. That is not what your word says about you. And it is wrong for me to think that. It's it's sin for me to think and believe things about you that simply aren't true. That's that's blasphemous. So then in faith, we are turning to the truth of who God is. And the point of faith, the goal of faith is to see and believe and trust and cling to all that God promises to be and to do for us in Jesus. And Romans 4, 20 through 22 is a great definition of faith where Paul points to Abraham's example of faith as the father of faith and says, no unbelief made 
Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So we want a faith like Abraham's where we are convinced that the promise of God is true and we are fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised, which means we need to know what God has promised. We need to turn to specific promises in his word and set our hope on everything that God has revealed in scripture that he will be for us and everything that he will do for us in the person of Jesus. And so so then we just begin to walk back up this slope of faith, beginning with who is God? Who has God revealed himself to be in scripture and through Jesus Christ? What has God done for me in and through Jesus? And in light of that, then what's true about me and what's true about how I should be living instead? And rather than just trying to flip a switch to feel different or live differently, we recognize that we will bear new fruit when the root changes and the root changes by God's grace and his spirit works that in us. And so that's that's where we... um, just set our minds thinking on, trusting in, praying over the truth of what scripture says about who God is. And so we have to get the direction right. The direction is really important. We start with the fruit, um, the unpleasant, sinful, poisonous, bitter fruit, because that's what we see first. And then we move down to the root because that's where all of the fruit comes from. The, The root is also where we need to experience change. We're not just trying to staple different fruit on the branches. So often we want to just shortcut this process and go from bad fruit to good fruit. Um, Just lop off the the bad fruit and staple on the good fruit and just feel better. I I feel worried and anxious. I just want to feel peace, feel peace, feel peace, feel peace. And it just doesn't work like that. We we can't cause ourselves to feel peace by uh, willpower, by sheer willpower. So we need to get down to the root, recognize what we're thinking and believing about God that's wrong, confess that in repentance, turn to the truth of who God is in faith, And then the only way to get that new fruit is to get new roots, and only Jesus can do that in us. Or maybe we should say it differently, that's exactly what Jesus can do. That's exactly what Jesus offers to do for everyone who trusts in him. That's the good news of the gospel, that because Jesus died for our sins, he was cut off so that we might belong and be grafted in. And now in Jesus, his resurrection life is overflowing and abounding to us so that we can experience that new life of the Spirit and bear the the fruit of the Spirit by His power within us. One last comment. Community is crucial to this whole process. The bad fruit that we bear is often uh, hidden to us initially, and it's observable to others. It's when we live our lives in community with other people that those who love Jesus and love us can see the bad fruit in our lives and gently and graciously point that out, reflect that back to us. It's in community that other people can walk us through this process and help remind us of who God is. They can speak the truth to us, and that has a a powerful effect on our souls when we're not just fighting to believe the truth on our own, but other people are standing there with us saying, hey, I believe this too. too. Here's what's true for you in Jesus. Here's a, a promise you can trust in. So community is crucial to this whole process as well. That's fruit to root, a paradigm that is Uh, very helpful for getting down to the root of our behavior. Uh, Parents, you can use this with your kids when you're seeking to parent them in a a gospel-centered way and help them understand where their behavior and their emotions are coming from. Uh, Spouses, you can help each other walk through this process when, um, when sinful fruit comes out in the context of marriage. Uh, Those of you in discipleship huddles as you're walking with one another as we seek to make and multiply disciples, use this to care for one another's souls and point people to renewed faith in 
all the glorious reality of who God is for us in Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles, missional communities, or gospel fluency, please email me at ryan at EmmausRoadSF.com. And if you're not currently part of a huddle or MC, let me know and I would love to help you get connected. If you're interested in more, you can find this content in our discipleship huddle guide, which is based on the DNA guide by Saturate Resources. The music on this episode is called Everywhere by Lee Rosevere, and it's used under a Creative Commons license.